Hey, can you flesh that out for me? Wow. Tell me a little bit more Swimming about that. in shallow waters. Are you serious? Okay, let's go a little deeper. <laughs> Alright. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Listen and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Jamal Marshall. Here we get into it, not to break someone down, but to build them up. I'm a certified counselor working with busy professionals to establish boundaries. But enough about me. We want to talk about my guest, Joy Donnell. So Joy is a producer and writer and co-founder of See Me, the center of intersectional media and entertainment, which provides research and resources for storytelling, equity, and Hollywood. Her recent book, Beyond Brand dives into how we can use media to live and leave our cultural legacy. I am too excited about this, Joy. How are you doing? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, there's a lot going on. So I'm doing I'm doing a lot of ways, right? But the main thing is that I am here and I am present and I am grounded in my radical aliveness. That's the first time somebody's ever answered a question that way. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll expand on that, but you know, and, and the listen to speak audience, y'all know the first question I usually ask every guest. I love painting outside the lines, but I have to ask this because we talk a lot about culture, faith, and mental health here on this podcast. What is your favorite genre of music and how has it informed your career journey, both personal and professional? Well, you know, I don't have an exact one favorite genre, but I do kind of like things that verge on funk for some reason. Hmm. P-funk, Afrobeat. You know, the, just something that kind of like hits me in my root chakra and my sacral energy while also like igniting that third eye and my crown chakra. I, it's always been my jam. And I think one of the ways that it has informed me is that, well, first of all, I love a beat that makes me get into my body, right? Because so many things around you are constantly trying to knock you out of your body. So a beat that gets me into my body automatically has me. And then when I listen to the musicality within the voice and the way that they stretch the notes and do things that are really innovative that have never been done before inside of music, it also helps me think more creatively as a creative person. And then the subject matter, the subject matter will be speaking on things that really hit you in the heart of what is going on in the world. And that's connected to a belief that I have that artists are supposed to reflect the times in which we live. Nina Simone said that best, right? Like mm. you reflect the times in which you live and you give a voice to those times that you live in. And so kind of all of that combined just kind of keeps me in this really juicy, wonderful flow of creative, fun, grounded in my body when I need to get my blood moving so that my thoughts can be moving along with my blood and my heart is one of those ways to kind of bring that sunshine back into myself. So I really dig that answer. And I like the fact that you didn't just pick one, but you chose a variety. And we're going to talk a little bit about variety and going beyond brand. But I've been following your content uh, ever since I saw you. And I was just like, wow, okay, sister's deep. <laughs> she doesn't run uh, and swim in shallow waters. And you spoke about something that I personally have to admit that I'd never heard of before. And it was Hollywood production codes. And you've spoken heavily on that. And obviously here, listen to speak, I'm a counselor. We talk a lot about mental health. I just want to know as an honest answer, when you uncovered these codes and delved deep into them, how, if at all, did that affect your mental health and wellness? 
Well, it affected it in a lot of ways. You know, the Hollywood production code era was a 30 plus year era where Hollywood just in and of itself decided to inflict these morality standards. It was going to be basically a denizen of what needed to be shown on screen in order to reflect how a human is supposed to be. And within that 30 plus year period, the code had things in it like, you're not going to show any sexual perversion. And that meant things like homosexuality and you know, transgenderism and things of that nature. Then there was also an anti-miscegenation clause, which meant that you could not show race mixing. (laughs) Race mixing was immoral and not a way to go about being human. It was bewildering, right? Because I grew up watching stuff just like a lot of people on, on the planet. And when I came to realize that one of America's biggest exports has been Hollywood, but really it's been America's ideas about race and caste and class within race. When apartheid was looking for a way to model itself, it studied America. It studied Jim Crow laws and the racism that America had put into place and said, oh, actually, that's a little too much. We're going to curb it back a little bit, but we're going to use this as a jumping off point. When the Nazis said, how can we go about modeling something that will uh, oppress the people that we want to eradicate with genocide? They studied American racism. And they actually said, that's actually too much. We're going to curb it back a bit. So even these models that went into the world, they looked at what had gone on in America and said, they took it a little too far. We're going to go back a bit. And when I saw these Hollywood production codes, it started explaining why I had been in rooms and in development situations. And there was this idea that you couldn't make a story this way. And it's like, well, why can't we do it? Oh, because it's, it's just the movie's not going to get made the way that it's written. So you got to switch it up. Can't be a, you know, a black man and a white woman, make it a white man and a black woman. And then the movie will get made. And no one was explaining where this came from and why this was a truism. And this has been one of America's biggest exports. 78% of all the media consumed in the world comes out of the United States. But also, too, all of our isms, all of our thoughts around all these ways to constrict uh, the body and keep certain bodies from being in certain spaces and places, the way that we've put that on screen has been our biggest export. And we have embedded all of that into the stories that we tell. So for my my mental health, my emotional well-being, it was illuminating, right? It started to explain the environment in which I'm trying to thrive. It started to help me understand that this is older than me, older than anyone that was in the room with me, that it was baked into the system, which is why it is systemic, <laughs> because it's in the system, that it explained the comps and why certain things got made and why other things didn't get made, what we have inherited, how baked it is within all of our primary social institutions, and how the stories that we tell really shape our beliefs and our reality. So it, it kind of gave me more energy, if you will, to know how to go about doing things the way that I needed to do them, because now I understood that the buffoonery was not in the leaves of the tree, and it was even deeper than the roots. It was in the soil. <laughs> right. Hold on, everybody. Let's just pause right there. <laughs> Whoever's listening to this, 
hear that back, it was in the soil. It wasn't even in the root. So often, especially from a media standpoint, we love the surface. The surface is what's entertaining, but we don't even see what's beneath the surface and the subliminal messages that are getting into our bloodstream, which affect our mental health. So when you said that, you just blew my mind, which, you know, people can probably see on my face right now. I'm just taking all this in. And this, this is going to, so folks, buckle your seatbelts because it's going to get a little bumpy <laughs> with Joy and I here. Wow. And that, that actually informs my next question. I often say uh, that the problem that plagues you or the thing that annoys you most is a problem that you were created to solve. And something that would, in a sense, take energy out of a person, put energy into you. It's just like, oh, the light's been turned on. And so when you wrote the book, Beyond Brand, what may have been a primary, and I'm sure there were primary, secondary, and tertiary problems that you were looking to address? I know that can go a lot of different ways, but just wanted to delve into that. I think the easiest way for me to say it is that when I went about writing Beyond Brand, I really wanted to talk about embodiment and disembodiment. Because I found myself having speaking engagements and I kept getting asked this really weird question that I didn't understand at first. And it was people basically saying, as I go about building my personal brand, how can I maintain my authenticity? And Jamal, I didn't understand the question at all because for me, it was like, just be authentic. Okay, what's the next thing, right? Like, it's like asking, how can I plan to be spontaneous? You can't plan to be spontaneous. You either are spontaneous or you are not being spontaneous. So like, just go ahead and be authentic. But by the time I got asked the question the third time, I started to understand, wait, there's something else going on, right? I've built a lot of brands. I've worked with, you know, the consumerism space. I've worked in the transformational media space. I've worked in the film, television space, independent. I've put a lot of stories on the screen. I've built a lot of brand, personal celebrity brand, as well as big corporate brands. And what I really know about a brand is that a brand actually needs to mimic a human. Like a brand isn't it. And what a brand does is it creates a narrative around itself that has human kind of attributes so that a human being will relate to it on a human level. And that will create salience in the mind so that you'll think of that brand when you go about getting the thing that you need to get, right? So it's a storytelling dynamic. It is just the way that we learn and it's tethered to that on a neuromarketing level. Here's the thing. When you get so stuck inside of your personal brand as a human being that you are trying to mimic what you think is brand culture itself, now you're actually mimicking the thing that is mimicking your innate humanity. It kind of becomes a Russian nesting doll of buffoonery. And I got an idea to actually ask somebody back when they asked me this question of how to be authentic. I said, what legacy would you like to leave? And the minute that I started talking about legacy and a personal legacy and a cultural legacy, that whole question of authenticity evaporated because there was something in the idea of legacy that people realized it had to come from within. It had to come from your truth. It had to come from what you embody, not what you're willing to take off of yourself and throw in the gutter because you don't think it's going to make a million dollars, right? And you maybe watch someone else pick it up out of the gutter and put it on and make a billion dollars with it. You actually have to stay tethered to something that is true to you on a psycho-spiritual level. And that was why this idea of cultural legacy 
became one of the things that I felt would bring people back into an embodiment conversation around being out there in the public space, creating media, using media as a tool to tell stories and build community and find collaborators and connect with one another. But when you get knocked out of your body, you're knocked out of your most natural state. You're knocked out of your only way to be human. The last time I checked, you can only have a human experience being in a human body. You're in a hummingbird, you're having a hummingbird experience. Right? <laughs> you're in a maple tree, you're having a maple tree experience. The only way you're going to have a human experience is being in a human body. Mm. And so many of these things that we, that we hear, that we get messages about, that we buy into, it's an assault on the body that we occupy, the space and place and time, the longitude and latitude that we have as a birthright inside of our bodies. And the minute that you step away from that, you're stepping away from your authenticity. You're stepping away from your only reason to actually be here is to be an expression of life, not to be what someone else's definition of life is. The tree doesn't have to define itself based upon how we think a tree should be. It doesn't have to apologize for its needs or how it expresses. But all of our systems and the way that we go about living on earth constantly says to people, you are in the wrong type of body. And if you want to have value worth a shot at any kind of self-determination or equity or self-actualization, then you have to take everything that is the effervescence of you off and even the effervescence of your ancestry, strip it away and be this homogenous thing. And then maybe, maybe, maybe we will deem you worthy. And I just didn't think that was the real conversation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely going to turn this into a video because I want everyone to see your body language as you're expressing your heart here. And I really appreciate just how you took us through the journey of what birthed Beyond Brand. And I want to talk a little bit about the way you ended what you were saying, because the word, especially in social media spaces, authentic for the last two, three years has been like a real buzzword. So much, I almost get tired of hearing it. Even when it comes off my lips, I'm like, yeah, did you just say that? <laughs> you know, it's like, what does that actually mean? And when you talked about an almost tearing off your own skin, so to speak, to put on another's just to live, in essence, that's not authentic. That's inauthentic. It's like authenticity has been defined by what the media says. This is what it means to be authentic. And you have seemingly gone against the grain to say, no, let's actually challenge that. Let's, let's delve a little deeper. Let's go beyond the surface so that you don't waste time and waste years wearing the skin and the shoes of someone else. So I'm just right now kind of fanboying over that because that really resonates with me as a person of faith and as a person who goes against the grain of what people think I should be politically as someone who lives in DC or what I should be faith-wise as a Christian, especially in a time when everything is being challenged and questioned, um, that resonates with me. But I, man, <laughs> it's hard talking to you, Joy, because you, you don't go shallow. I have to ask you, especially when it comes to Hollywood and the way Hollywood and the way the media and society in general says, this is the sound, this is the look, this is the mindset, this is the heart set. You've spoken pretty candidly about colorism. And just talk a little bit, if you want to, about some of the adversity you face being a dark-skinned Black woman in the public eye. 
Well, in the public eye period, you know, it's it's been layered my whole life, right? Mm. Like part of it for me on a personal level, I think why I feel so passionately about this is because I understand it quite naturally. I grew up in the South. I wasn't the darkest, but I wasn't the lightest. There were churches not far from me growing up that actually had a piece of wood outside of the door. And if you were darker than the piece of wood, you could not come in to the church. You know, I have seen studies where if the iconography was changed within the church from a white-bodied Jesus and Mary and Joseph and everything into a black-bodied Jesus or just a darker-skinned Jesus and Mary, Black folks would stop going to the church. And I know from personal experience when that thing that comes from the outside and tries to knock you again out of yourself and make you think that your expression of life is somehow wrong. And it can be a lifelong journey to keep healing from that, mm. right? Like you, st- you still don't arrive at a true destination of healing. The healing is the journey. Love that. The healing is the path. Mm. And you have to figure out what modalities are going to work for you to keep, to again, keep you in the sweetness of being you. You know, so I've had comments thrown at me from people that I wasn't even talking to, right? Like, I'm a, do I even know you? Did you cordially introduce yourself? You just come at me with a comment out of nowhere. I was just walking, living my life, right? And trying to mind my business, just drinking water. And here comes, you know, this comment sideways. You know, I'll tell you a story. When I was about seven years old, I, we had moved into a new house. We were the first Black family in the neighborhood. And I was really excited about the, the new house because I loved my room. It was big. It was upstairs. I loved the, the corner windows and everything, the way the light came in. And I was also a genius at staying awake longer than I was supposed to. So one night I was enacting that genius and I was way, awake way past my bedtime. And I start to see these kind of like golden lights flickering outside of my window. And I think to myself, could it be fairies? And I'm like, no, wait, okay, that's crazy because it's probably it's not fairies. But wait, but wait, but wait, wait. It could be fairies, right? Like maybe this is fairies. And I take my fingers and I part the blinds so that I can see what's going on, if it's gonna be fairy light. And what I end up seeing instead is a cross burning on the lawn. Hmm. It was one of our welcomes to the neighborhood. And then I hear my mom's screaming and my brother comes running into the room and he pulls me away from the window. My father is running out with a hose to take the fire out. And I get pulled from the window, but I've already seen it, right? I'll never unsee it. Mm. And the next day, our neighbor across the street, who was this wonderful Sicilian American woman, and she was like, Oh no, she was like, uh, they're not going to be coming up here running rough shot because like, like we are in this together. And, you know, she worked with our parents and they eventually just take the deputy outside in the, uh, in her driveway because she like had a, in a higher vantage point and everything. And they were able to catch the who did it. And it was teenage kids in the neighborhood. I look back on that moment in so many ways, because if you notice how I started with fairy light, I thought that moment was going to be transformative. And Jamal, it was. It was transformative. I did not know anything about the history of the country I had been born into. 
Both of my parents survived Jim Crow. They started to explain to me this country that I was born into, the skin I was in, what I was inheriting, what they had survived. But all I could meet that with was anger. I was pissed off. None of it made sense to me. What I kept finding inside of myself was I was tapping into this, what I call a divine spark of defiance. Mm. I listened to all of the history and the rationale and the everything, and I saw the events unfold. But all I kept coming back to was, that's messed up. We haven't done anything to anyone. And actually, we deserve to be here. We deserve to be alive. It was some sort of meeting of my ego and my soul to know that I had to tap into this this idea, this audacious idea that I am supposed to occupy my body. The journey of my life has been a combination of figuring out when to have strategy around that and when to surrender. Because there's always going to be a wall. You're always going to inevitably come up against a wall. And when you hit that wall, the question is, do you knock the wall down? Do you scale it? Do you lean up against it? Do you decorate it? What are you going to do with that wall, right? And my strategy takes me to certain points. It helps me kind of build community the way that I need to, build those benevolent people around me that are going to help me think through things and see around corners and and strategize deeper and find answers and solutions. But then the surrender comes moments when I have to recognize that I've done a lot. I've done enough for right now and I actually deserve rest too. I need to replenish myself because the thing is that this is someone else's thing. This is not my thing. This is something that I have inherited within the system, but I didn't create it. And I probably cannot cure it by myself. And I don't need to. I picked the lane of media because I decided not to spread myself all over the place with what I wanted to do. Mm. I said, media is a primary social institution, just like family, just like religion, just like science, just like the law. So if it's a primary social institution, then that means that it can be used to affect change. So I will use media to affect the change. I will take all that anger and frustration and I will turn it into creativity. I will criticize by creating. I will change by creating. And my creativity keeps becoming a deeper modality for me to be restorative within my joy, to be reclaiming my right to rest, the kind of rest that my ancestors deserved but were systemically denied. They survived all that they survived so that I can claim my right to rest, not have to have rest as a reward. So I just work on figuring out where I need to be gentle with myself, cultivating a gentle life for myself is my version of productivity. Cultivating an aesthetically pleasing life for myself is the way that I go about being art. And art does not exist to please you. Art exists to make you feel something. And so I am here as an expression of life to make other expressions of life feel something. Regardless of what shade I am, I love the shade that I'm in. And I do my best to align with people that want to keep reinforcing that kind of radical aliveness for themselves as well. Okay. The mic has dropped (laughs) like 10 times. 
Oh my goodness, Joy. Wow. That was phenomenal. I, I, I'm not even sure where to, to pick up just because you spoke a lot about rest. And I think about from a faith-based standpoint, how important it is to live without guilt and to know what is your problem to solve. You know, we, we both work in professional spaces in the most non-entrepreneurial space. You hear about the racy, who's responsible, who's accountable, who's collaborative, who's informed. It's just like to know what is my responsibility and to know to take <laughs> the rest that is allotted to me, you know, instead of chasing it to actually take it. My, my mind is my, my word. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just absorbing all this. And for our audience, I hope you guys have been really hearing this. No matter where you fall on the rung of, of faith, no matter what your color, ethnicity, or background may be, I hope you're receiving this for yourself and, and finding practical ways for this to play out in your own life. You've obviously led the way in this. Um, and have taken something that was tragic that will never be forgotten. It's like, well, what do I do with this? Choosing to do something about it, but also not wearing yourself out in the process and wearing the skin God has given you beautifully. Thank you. I mean, it's it's difficult because you don't win at it every day. You know, and I definitely don't want to sit here and act like I've got it all figured out every single minute of every single day right? is Some days are better than other days. Hmm. But if you're lucky to live life long enough, right? And you're able to really cultivate a certain level of love within yourself and around yourself, life has these ways of giving you paths back to you. It's amazing. For me, you know, I, I live in Los Angeles. So I love living in Los Angeles because I do really enjoy the natural world. I do like being reminded that I am part of the natural world, you know, that that life is within me, it, run, it flows through me, and there is some form of life within me that is older than this planet, older than the sun. It, no, it owes no homage to the cosmos. It is the cosmos, right? <laughs> and... I mean, when you look at the the deepest regions of space, is that not melanin? You know, I I see so much of this uh, everything that ever was within all of us. All the gold, all the silver that is on the planet at one point was at the center of a star. So I like to go back out into nature and reconnect with that. I like to feel it under my feet. I like to touch it. I like to admire it. I like to sit with it in an effortless state of existence. And when I do that, and th- these are moments of surrender, but it also takes some strategy, you know, because I have to strategize to actually take that time when I'm frustrated, I'm worn out, go outside, go for a walk, get natural again. And then I'm able to keep creating on demand, even because I keep going back to my most natural state, my most natural self, not my inner critic, because my inner critic is not necessarily keeping me in my natural state, right? It's worried about all the things that aren't natural around me and what we're going to do about them. What's the strategy going to be with it? No, I got to surrender to what Mary Oliver called the soft animal of your body, right? I surrender to that and just let it love what it loves and just let it go where it goes and abandon perhaps even every form of crystallized thought that I had, everything I thought I knew about a thing and start to connect dots that I never thought I would connect. And then I find myself in a flow state because of that surrender, right? 
And, you know, we're, we're in this interesting time where it's going to take some strategy to get through some of the things that we're experiencing right now, right? And, and I even hear some people say things like, ambition is a lack of faith. I don't really agree with that statement because the natural world has strategy. If a tree didn't have strategy, why does it have pollen? Pollen is a strategy. <laughs> How are you going to get your material from where it is to over there and catch the wind? What are the bees going to come and do? That's strategy. That's strategic. And the surrender part is seeing where that pollen is going to land. What is it going to mix with? How is it going to keep growing? But there's strategy within nature. And we have to have strategy as consciousness. We have to have some conscious strategy. And then we have to also have moments where we just let it go, trust the flow, go with it, see what's going to emerge next, and trust that we can keep figuring it out because we have these gifts that we've been developing and cultivating, and they've gotten us this far, right? If you, if you hadn't been, I don't know, figuring something else out, you wouldn't be here still. So you keep making it. So that means that you can keep figuring it out some sort of way. And again, keep going into that, that natural state of being. So yeah, you're going to have moments when you're bugging, your, e- your ego is going to be tripping. But why is your ego tripping? Does your ego really hate you? Or is it just scared because it really wants you to succeed? And it remembers when you did that thing over there and you got mangled and embarrassed. And so like, if we don't want to get mangled and embarrassed again, maybe we should just start ringing the alarm and you just be like, Naboo, look, it's going to be okay. Like we got mangled and embarrassed, but we didn't die. So let's just stop tripping for a second. I appreciate you being part of my collaborative thought process within my body, but I'm going to like, just sit you down for a second. I'm going to trust and believe that I can figure this out and I'm going to take a risk on myself. It's a, it's a dance. It's a dance. Joy. <laughs> My word, you have just given the audience a mouthful. Um, obviously, folks, this is just part one. We're going to come back very briefly for part two. So we are just out of time for this segment of Listen and Speak, but please join us for the next episode between myself and Joy Donnell. I'm going to share with you all her social media handles and where you can find her. That'll all be in the message notes here, but stand by for part two. I am too excited because Joy and I have just scratched the surface and we got a ways to go, folks. So Joy, thanks so much for part one. Looking forward to jamming with you on part two. Thank you. We're at the end of our show and just want to thank you for coming to take the time to get into it with us over here at Listen Then Speak. We do want to ask that you would feel free to visit the website at www.listenthenspeak.com. Drop us off some feedback. And if you also want to be a guest on the show, feel free to email me at jmarsh1218 at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. I want to leave my guests with one thing. What is one thing that can help each of us to listen then speak and broach topics with our fellow man in a manner that is mutually beneficial? Feel free to join us next week. Take care, everyone. Grace and peace.